BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Chapter 21 of Riders of the Purple Sage. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Laurie Ann Walden. Riders of the Purple Sage by Zane Grey. Chapter 21. Black Star and Night. The time had come for Venters and Bess to leave their retreat. They were at great pains to choose the few things they would be able to carry with them on the journey out of Utah. "'Burn, whatever kind of a pack's this, anyhow?' questioned Bess, rising from her work with reddened face. Venters, absorbed in his own task, did not look up at all, and in reply said he had brought so much from Cottonwoods that he did not recollect the half of it. "'A woman packed this!' Bess exclaimed. He scarcely caught her meaning, but the peculiar tone of her voice caused him instantly to rise, and he saw Bess on her knees before an open pack which he recognized as the one given him by Jane. "'By George!' he ejaculated, guiltily, and then at sight of Bess's face he laughed outright. "'A woman packed this,' she repeated, fixing woeful, tragic eyes on him. "'Well, is that a crime?' "'There, there is a woman, after all.' "'Now, Bess, you've lied to me.' Then and there, Venters found it imperative to postpone work for the present. All her life Bess had been isolated, but she had inherited certain elements of the eternal feminine. "'But there was a woman, and you did lie to me,' she kept repeating, after he had explained. "'What of that? Bess, I'll get angry at you in a moment. Remember, you've been pent up all your life.' I venture to say that if you'd been out in the world, you'd have had a dozen sweethearts and have told many a lie before this. I wouldn't anything of the kind, declared Bess indignantly. Well, perhaps not lie, but you'd have had the sweethearts. You couldn't have helped that, being so pretty. This remark appeared to be a very clever and fortunate one, and the work of selecting and then of stowing all the packs in the cave went on without further interruption. Venters closed up the opening of the cave with a thatch of willows and aspens, so that not even a bird or a rat could get into the sacks of grain. And this work was in order with the precaution habitually observed by him. He might not be able to get out of Utah and have to return to the valley. But he owed it to Bess to make the attempt, and in case they were compelled to turn back, he wanted to find that fine store of food and grain intact. The outfit of implements and utensils he packed away in another cave. "'Bess, we have enough to live here all our lives,' he said once, dreamily. "'Shall I go roll-balancing rock?' she asked, in light speech, 
but with deep blue fire in her eyes. "'No, no.' "'Ah, you don't forget the gold in the world,' she sighed. "'Child, you forget the beautiful dresses and the travel and everything.' "'Oh, I want to go, but I want to stay.' "'I feel the same way.' They let the eight calves out of the corral and kept only two of the burros Venters had brought from Cottonwoods. These they intended to ride. Bess freed all her pets, the quail and rabbits and foxes.' The last sunset and twilight and night were both the sweetest and saddest they had ever spent in Surprise Valley. Morning brought keen exhilaration and excitement. When Venters had saddled the two burros, strapped on the light packs and the two canteens, the sunlight was dispersing the lazy shadows from the valley. Taking a last look at the caves and the silver spruces, Venters and Bess made a reluctant start, leading the burros. Ring and Whitey looked keen and knowing— Something seemed to drag at Venter's feet, and he noticed Bess lagged behind. Never had the climb from terrace to bridge appeared so long. Not till they reached the opening of the gorge did they stop to rest and take one last look at the valley. The tremendous arch of stone curved clear and sharp in outline against the morning sky, and through it streaked the golden shaft. The valley seemed an enchanted circle of glorious veils of gold and wraiths of white and silver haze and dim, blue, moving shade, beautiful and wild and unreal as a dream. "'We, we can th think of it, always r remember,' sobbed Bess. "'Hush, don't cry. Our valley has only fitted us for a better life somewhere. Come.' They entered the gorge and he closed the willow gate. From rosy, golden morning light they passed into cool, dense gloom. The burrows pattered up the trail with little hollow cracking steps, and the gorge widened to narrow outlet, and the gloom lightened to gray. At the divide they halted for another rest. Venter's keen, remembering gaze searched balancing rock, and the long incline, and the cracked toppling walls, but failed to note the slightest change. The dogs led the descent, then came Bess leading her burrow, then Venters leading his. Bess kept her eyes bent downward. Venters, however, had an irresistible desire to look upward at Balancing Rock. It had always haunted him, and now he wondered if he were really to get through the outlet before the huge stone thundered down. He fancied that would be a miracle. Every few steps he answered to the strange, nervous fear and turned to make sure the rock still stood like a giant statue. And, as he descended, it grew dimmer in his sight. It changed form, it swayed, it nodded darkly. And at last, in his heightened fancy, he saw it heave and roll. As in a dream when he felt himself falling, yet knew he would never fall, so he saw this long-standing thunderbolt of the little stone men plunge down to close forever the outlet to deception pass. And while he was giving way to unaccountable dread imaginations, the descent was accomplished without mishap. "'I'm glad that's over,' he said, breathing more freely. "'I hope I'm by that hanging rock for good and all. "'Since almost the moment I first saw it, "'I've had an idea that it was waiting for me. "'Now, when it does fall, if I'm thousands of miles away, I'll hear it.' "'With the first glimpses of the smooth slope "'leading down to the grotesque cedars and out to the pass, "'Venter's cool nerve returned. "'One long survey to the left, then one to the right, "'satisfied his caution.' Leading the burrows down to the spur of rock, he halted at the steep incline. "'Bess, here's the bad place, the place I told you about, with the cut steps. 
You start down, leading your burrow. Take your time and hold on to him if you slip. I've got a rope on him and a half-hitch on this point of rock, so I can let him down safely. Coming up here was a killing job, but it'll be easy going down. Both burrows passed down the difficult stairs cut by the cliff-dwellers and did it without a misstep. After that, the descent down the slope and over the mile of scrawled, ripped, and ridged rock required only careful guidance, and Venters got the burrows to level ground in a condition that caused him to congratulate himself. "'Oh, if we only had Wrangle!' exclaimed Venters. "'But we're lucky. That's the worst of our trail past. We've only men to fear now. If we get up in the sage, we can hide and slip along like coyotes.' They mounted and rode west through the valley and entered the canyon. From time to time Venters walked, leading his burrow. When they got by all the canyons and gullies opening into the pass, they went faster and with fewer halts. Venters did not confide in Bess the alarming fact that he had seen horses in smoke less than a mile up one of the intersecting canyons. He did not talk at all. And long after he had passed this canyon and felt secure once more in the certainty that they had been unobserved, he never relaxed his watchfulness but he did not walk any more, and he kept the burrows at a steady trot. Night fell before they reached the last water in the pass, and they made camp by starlight. Venters did not want the burrows to stray, so he tied them with long halters in the grass near the spring. Bess, tired out and silent, laid her head in a saddle and went to sleep between the two dogs. Venters did not close his eyes. The canyon silence appeared full of the low, continuous hum of insects, he listened until the hum grew into a roar, and then, breaking the spell, once more he heard it low and clear. He watched the stars and the moving shadows, and always his glance returned to the girl's dimly pale face, and he remembered how white and still it had once looked in the starlight. And again stern thought fought his strange fancies. Would all his labor and his love be for naught? Would he lose her after all? What did the dark shadow around her portend? Did calamity lurk on that long upland trail through the sage? Why should his heart swell and throb with nameless fear? He listened to the silence and told himself that in the broad light of day he could dispel this leaden-weighted dread. At the first hint of gray over the eastern rim, he awoke Bess, saddled the burrows, and began the day's travel. He wanted to get out of the pass before there was any chance of riders coming down. They gained the break as the first red rays of the rising sun colored the rim. For once, so eager was he to get up to level ground, he did not send Ring or Whitey in advance. Encouraging Bess to hurry, pulling at his patient, plodding burrow, he climbed the soft, steep trail. Brighter and brighter grew the light. He mounted the last broken edge of rim to have the sun-fired, purple sage-slope burst upon him as a glory. Bess panted up to his side, tugging on the halter of her burrow. "'We're up!' he cried joyously. "'There's not a dot on the sage. We're safe. We'll not be seen. Oh, Bess!' Ring growled and sniffed the keen air and bristled. Venters clutched at his rifle. Whitey sometimes made a mistake, but Ring never. The dull thud of hoofs almost deprived Venters of power to turn and see from where disaster threatened. He felt his eyes dilate as he stared at Lassiter, leading Black Star and Knight out of the sage, with Jane Witherstein in Ryder's costume close beside them. For an instant Venters felt himself whirl dizzily in the center of vast circles of sage. 
He recovered partially, enough to see Lassiter standing with a glad smile, and Jane riveted in astonishment. "'Why, Burn!' she exclaimed. "'How good it is to see you! We're riding away, you see. The storm burst, and I'm a ruined woman. I thought you were alone.' Venters, unable to speak for consternation, and bewildered out of all sense of what he ought or ought not to do, simply stared at Jane. "'Son, where are you bound for?' asked Lassiter. "'Not safe where I was. I'm—we are going out of Utah, back east,' he found tongue to say. "'I reckon this meeting's the luckiest thing that ever happened to you and to me, and to Jane, and to Bess,' said Lassiter coolly. "'Bess!' cried Jane, with a sudden leap of blood to her pale cheek. It was entirely beyond Venters to see any luck in that meeting.' Jane Witherstein took one flashing woman's glance at Bess's scarlet face, at her slender, shapely form. "'Venters, is this a girl, a woman?' she questioned, in a voice that stung. "'Yes.' "'Did you have her in that wonderful valley?' "'Yes, but Jane—' "'All the time you were gone?' "'Yes, but I couldn't tell. Was it for her you asked me to give you supplies?' Was it for her that you wanted to make your valley a paradise? Oh, Jane, answer me. Yes. Oh, you liar! And with these passionate words, Jane Witherstein succumbed to fury. For the second time in her life she fell into the ungovernable rage that had been her father's weakness. And it was worse than his, for she was a jealous woman, jealous even of her friends. As best he could, he bore the brunt of her anger. It was not only his deceit to her that she visited upon him, but her betrayal by religion, by life itself. Her passion, like fire at white heat, consumed itself in little time. Her physical strength failed, and still her spirit attempted to go on in magnificent denunciation of those who had wronged her. Like a tree cut deep into its roots, she began to quiver and shake, and her anger weakened into despair. And her ringing voice sank into a broken, husky whisper. Then, spent and pitiable, upheld by Lassiter's arm, she turned and hid her face in Black Star's mane. Numb as Venters was, when at length Jane Witherstein lifted her head and looked at him, he yet suffered a pang. "'Jane, the girl is innocent,' he cried. "'Can you expect me to believe that?' she asked, with weary, bitter eyes. "'I'm not that kind of a liar, and you know it. If I lied, if I kept silent when honor should have made me speak, it was to spare you. I came to Cottonwoods to tell you, but I couldn't add to your pain. I intended to tell you I had come to love this girl. But, Jane, I hadn't forgotten how good you were to me. I haven't changed at all towards you. I prize your friendship as I always have. But, however it may look to you, don't be unjust. The girl is innocent. Ask Lassiter. "'Jane, she's just as sweet and innocent as little Fay,' said Lassiter. There was a faint smile upon his face, and a beautiful light. Venters saw, and knew that Lassiter saw, how Jane Witherstein's tortured soul wrestled with hate, and through it, with scorn, doubt, suspicion, and overcame all. "'Burn, if in my misery I accused you unjustly, I crave forgiveness,' she said. "'I'm not what I once was.' "'Tell me, who is this girl?' "'Jane, she is Oldring's daughter, and his masked rider. 
Lassiter will tell you how I shot her for a rustler, saved her life, all the story. It's a strange story, Jane, as wild as the sage. But it's true, true as her innocence. That you must believe. Aldring's masked rider? Aldring's daughter? exclaimed Jane. And she's innocent. You ask me to believe much. If this girl is, is what you say, how could she be going away with the man who killed her father? Why did you tell that? cried Venters passionately. Jane's question had roused Bess out of stupefaction. Her eyes suddenly darkened and dilated. She stepped toward Venters and held up both hands as if to ward off a blow. Did, did you kill Aldring? I did, Bess, and I hate myself for it. But you know I never dreamed he was your father. I thought he'd wronged you. I killed him when I was madly jealous. For a moment Bess was shocked into silence. "'But he was my father,' she broke out at last. "'And now I must go back. I can't go with you. "'It's all over, that beautiful dream. "'Oh, I knew it couldn't come true. You can't take me now.' "'If you forgive me, Bess, it'll all come right in the end,' implored Venters. "'It can't be right. I'll go back. After all, I loved him. He was good to me. I can't forget that.' "'If you go back to Old Ring's men, I'll follow you, and then they'll kill me,' said Venters, hoarsely. "'Oh, no, Burn, you'll not come. Let me go. It's best for you to forget me. I've brought you only pain and dishonor.' She did not weep, but the sweet bloom and life died out of her face. She looked haggard and sad, all at once stunted, and her hands dropped listlessly, and her head drooped in a slow, final acceptance of a hopeless fate. "'Jane, look there.' cried Venters, in despairing grief. Need you have told her? Where was all your kindness of heart? This girl has had a wretched, lonely life, and I'd found a way to make her happy. You've killed it. You've killed something sweet and pure and hopeful, just as sure as you breathe. Oh, Burn, it was a slip. I never thought, I never thought, replied Jane. How could I tell she didn't know? Lassiter suddenly moved forward, and with the beautiful light on his face now strangely luminous, he looked at Jane and Venters, and then let his soft, bright gaze rest on Bess. "'Well, I reckon you've all had your say, and now it's Lassiter's turn. Why, I was just praying for this meeting. Bess, just look here.' Gently he touched her arm and turned her to face the others, and then outspread his great hand to disclose a shiny, battered gold locket. "'Open it,' he said, with a singularly rich voice. Bess complied, but listlessly. "'Jane, Venters, come closer,' went on Lassiter. "'Take a look at the picture. Don't you know the woman?' Jane, after one glance, drew back. "'Millie Erne,' she cried, wonderingly. Venters, with tingling pulse, with something growing on him, recognized in the faded miniature portrait the eyes of Millie Erne. "'Yes, that's Millie,' said Lassiter softly. "'Bess, did you ever see her face? Look hard, with all your heart and soul.' "'The eyes seem to haunt me,' whispered Bess. "'Oh, but I can't remember. They're eyes of my dreams, but—but—' Lassiter's strong arm went round her, and he bent his head. "'Child, I thought you'd remember her eyes. They're the same beautiful eyes you'd see if you looked in a mirror or a clear spring.' They're your mother's eyes. 
"'You are Milly Erne's child. "'Your name is Elizabeth Erne. "'You're not Oldring's daughter. "'You're the daughter of Frank Erne, "'a man once my best friend. "'Look, here's his picture beside Milly's. "'He was handsome and as fine and gallant "'a southern gentleman as I ever seen. "'Frank came of an old family. "'You come of the best of blood, lass, "'and blood tells.' Bess slipped through his arm to her knees and hugged the locket to her bosom and lifted wonderful, yearning eyes. "'It can't be true.' "'Thank God, lass, it is true,' replied Lassiter. "'Jane and Byrne here, they both recognize Milly. They see Milly in you. They're so knocked out they can't tell you, that's all.' "'Who are you?' whispered Bess. "'I reckon I'm Milly's brother, and your uncle.' "'Uncle Jim, ain't that fine?' "'Oh, I can't believe. Don't raise me. Burn, let me kneel. "'I see truth in your face, in Miss Witherstein's. "'But let me hear it all, all on my knees. Tell me how it's true.' "'Well, Elizabeth, listen,' said Lassiter. "'Before you was born, your father made a mortal enemy of a Mormon named Dyer. "'They was both ministers and come to be rivals. "'Dyer stole your mother away from her home.' She gave birth to you in Texas eighteen years ago. Then she was taken to Utah, from place to place, and finally to the last border settlement, Cottonwoods. You was about three years old when you was taken away from Milly. She never knew what had become of you. But she lived a good while hoping and praying to have you again. Then she gave up and died, and I may as well put in here your father died ten years ago. Well, I spent my time tracing Milly, and some months back I landed in Cottonwoods. "'and just lately I learned all about you. "'I had a talk with Aldrin and told him you was dead, "'and he told me what I had so long been wanting to know. "'It was Dyer, of course, who stole you from Milly. "'Part reason he was sore because Milly refused to give you Mormon teaching, "'but mostly he still hated Frank Erne so infernally "'that he made a deal with Aldrin to take you "'and bring you up as an infamous rustler and rustler's girl. "'The idea was to break Frank Erne's heart if he ever came to Utah.' "'to show him his daughter with a band of low rustlers. "'Well, Aldrin took you, brought you up from childhood, "'and then made you his masked rider. "'He made you infamous. "'He kept that part of the contract, "'but he learned to love you as a daughter "'and never let any but his own men know you was a girl. "'I heard him say that with my own ears, "'and I saw his big eyes grow dim. "'He told me how he had guarded you always, "'kept you locked up in his absence.' "'was always at your side or near you on those rides that made you famous on the sage. "'He said he and an old rustler whom he trusted had taught you how to read and write. "'They selected the books for you. "'Dyer had wanted you brought up the vilest of the vile, "'and Aldrin brought you up the innocentest of the innocent. "'He said you didn't know what vileness was. "'I can hear his big voice tremble now as he said it. "'He told me how the men, rustlers and outlaws, "'who from time to time tried to approach you familiarly,' He told me how he shot them dead. I'm telling you this specially because you've showed such shame, saying you was nameless and all that. Nothing on earth can be wronger than that idea of yours. And the truth of it is here. Aldrin swore to me that if Dyer died, releasing the contract, he intended to hunt up your father and give you back to him. It seems Aldrin wasn't all bad, and he sure loved you. Venters leaned forward in passionate remorse. "'Oh, Bess, I know Lassiter speaks the truth, "'for when I shot Aldrin, he dropped to his knees "'and fought with unearthly power to speak. "'And he said, "'Man, why didn't you wait? 
Bess was. Then he fell dead. And I've been haunted by his look and words. Oh, Bess, what a strange, splendid thing for Oldring to do. It all seems impossible. But, dear, you really are not what you thought. Elizabeth Erne, cried Jane Witherstein. I loved your mother, and I see her in you. What had been incredible from the lips of men became, in the tone, look, and gesture of a woman, a wonderful truth for Bess. With little tremblings of all her slender body she rocked to and fro on her knees. The yearning wistfulness of her eyes changed to solemn splendor of joy. She believed. She was realizing happiness. And, as the process of thought was slow, so were the variations of her expression. Her eyes reflected the transformation of her soul. Dark, brooding, hopeless belief, clouds of gloom, drifted, paled, vanished in glorious light. An exquisite rose flush, a glow, shone from her face as she slowly began to rise from her knees. A spirit uplifted her. All that she had held as base dropped from her. Venters watched her in joy too deep for words. By it he divined something of what Lassiter's revelation meant to Bess, but he knew he could only faintly understand. That moment when she seemed to be lifted by some spiritual transfiguration was the most beautiful moment of his life. She stood with parted, quivering lips, with hands tightly clasping the locket to her heaving breast. A new conscious pride of worth dignified the old, wild, free grace and poise. "'Uncle Jim,' she said tremulously, with a different smile from any Venters had ever seen on her face. Lassiter took her into his arms. "'I reckon it's powerful fine to hear that,' replied Lassiter unsteadily. Venters, feeling his eyes grow hot and wet, turned away, and found himself looking at Jane Witherstein. He had almost forgotten her presence. Tenderness and sympathy were fast hiding traces of her agitation. Venters read her mind, felt the reaction of her noble heart, saw the joy she was beginning to feel at the happiness of others. And suddenly blinded, choked by his emotions, he turned from her also. He knew what she would do presently. She would make some magnificent amend for her anger. She would give some manifestation of her love. Probably, all in a moment, if she had loved Milly Erne, so would she love Elizabeth Erne. "'Pears to me, folks, that we'd better talk a little serious now,' remarked Lassiter, at length. "'Time flies.' "'You're right,' replied Venters, instantly. "'I'd forgotten time, place, danger. "'Lassiter, you're riding away. "'Jane's leaving Witherstein House?' "'Forever,' replied Jane. "'I fired Witherstein House.' said Lassiter. Dyer? questioned Venters sharply. I reckon where Dyer's gone there won't be any kidnapping of girls. Ah, I knew it. I told Judkins. And Tull? went on Venters passionately. Tull wasn't around when I broke loose. By now he's likely on our trail with his riders. Lassiter, you're going into the pass to hide till all this storm blows over? I reckon that's Jane's idea. I'm thinking the storm will be a powerful long time blowing over. I was coming to join you in Surprise Valley. You'll go back now with me? No, I want to take Bess out of Utah. Lassiter, Bess found gold in the valley. We've a saddlebag full of gold. If we can reach Sterling... Man, how are you ever going to do that? 
Sterling is a hundred miles. My plan is to ride on, keeping sharp lookout. Somewhere up the trail we'll take to the sage and go round Cottonwoods, and then hit the trail again. It's a bad plan. You'll kill the burrows in two days. Then we'll walk. That's more bad and worse. Better go back down the pass with me. Lassiter, this girl has been hidden all her life in that lonely place, went on Venters. Aldring's men are hunting me. We'd not be safe there any longer. Even if we would be, I'd take this chance to get her out. I want to marry her. She shall have some of the pleasures of life, see cities and people. We've gold. We'll be rich. Why, life opens sweet for both of us. And, by heaven, I'll get her out or lose my life in the attempt. I reckon if you go on with them burrows, you'll lose your life all right. Tull will have riders all over this sage. You can't get out on them burrows. It's a fool idea. That's not doing best by the girl. Come with me and take chances on the rustlers. Lassiter's cool argument made Venters waver, not in determination to go, but in hope of success. Bess, I want you to know. Lassiter says the trip's almost useless now. I'm afraid he's right. We've got about one chance in a hundred to go through. Shall we take it? Shall we go on? We'll go on, replied Bess. That settles it, Lassiter. Lassiter spread wide his hands, as if to signify he could do no more, and his face clouded. Venters felt a touch on his elbow. Jane stood beside him with a hand on his arm. She was smiling. Something radiated from her, and like an electric current accelerated the motion of his blood. "'Burn, you'd be right to die rather than not take Elizabeth out of Utah, out of this wild country. You must do it. You'll show her the great world with all its wonders. Think how little she has seen. Think what delight is in store for her. You have gold. You will be free. You will make her happy. What a glorious prospect. I share it with you. I'll think of you, dream of you, pray for you. Thank you, Jane, replied Venters, trying to steady his voice. It does look bright. Oh, if we were only across that wide, open waste of sage... Burn, the trip's as good as made. It'll be safe, easy. It'll be a glorious ride, she said softly. Venters stared. Had Jane's troubles made her insane? Lassiter, too, acted queerly, all at once beginning to turn his sombrero round in hands that actually shook. You are a rider. She is a rider. This will be the ride of your lives, added Jane in that same soft undertone, almost as if she were musing to herself. "'Jane!' he cried. "'I give you Black Star and Night.' "'Black Star and Night!' he echoed. "'It's done. Lassiter, put our saddlebags on the burrows.' Only when Lassiter moved swiftly to execute her bidding did Venter's clogged brain grasp at literal meanings. He leaped to catch Lassiter's busy hands. "'No, no, what are you doing?' he demanded, in a kind of fury. "'I won't take her racers. What do you think I am? It'd be monstrous. "'Lassiter, stop it, I say. You've got her to save. "'You've miles and miles to go. Tull is trailing you. There are rustlers in the pass. "'Give me back that saddlebag.' "'Son, cool down,' returned Lassiter, in a voice he might have used to a child. 
but the grip with which he tore away Venter's grasping hands was that of a giant. "'Listen, you fool, boy. Jane sized up the situation. The burrows will do for us. We'll sneak along and hide. I'll take your dogs and your rifle. Why, it's the trick. The blacks are yours, and sure as I can throw a gun, you're going to ride safe out of the sage.' "'Jane, stop him. Please stop him,' gasped Venters. "'I've lost my strength. I can't do anything. This is hell for me. Can't you see that? I've ruined you. It was through me you lost all. You've only Black Star and Knight left. You love these horses. Oh, I know how you must love them now. And you're trying to give them to me, to help me out of Utah, to save the girl I love.' "'That will be my glory.' Then, in the white, rapt face, in the unfathomable eyes, Venter saw Jane Witherstein in a supreme moment. This moment was one wherein she reached up to the height for which her noble soul had ever yearned. He, after disrupting the calm tenor of her peace, after bringing down on her head the implacable hostility of her churchmen, after teaching her a bitter lesson of life, he was to be her salvation. And he turned away again, this time shaken to the core of his soul. Jane Witherstein was the incarnation of selflessness. He experienced wonder and terror, exquisite pain and rapture. What were all the shocks life had dealt him compared to the thought of such loyal and generous friendship? And instantly, as if by some divine insight, he knew himself in the remaking, tried, found wanting, but stronger, better, surer, and he wheeled to Jane Witherstein, eager, joyous, passionate, wild, exalted. He bent to her. He left tears and kisses on her hands. "'Jane, I, I can't find words now,' he said. "'I'm beyond words. Only I understand, and I'll take the blacks.' "'Don't be losing no more time,' cut in Lassiter. "'I ain't certain, but I think I seen a speck up the sage slope. Maybe I was mistaken. But anyway, we must all be moving.' I've shortened the stirrups on Black Star. Put Bess on him. Jane Witherstein held out her arms. Elizabeth Erne, she cried, and Bess flew to her. How inconceivably strange and beautiful it was for Venters to see Bess clasped to Jane Witherstein's breast. Then he leaped astride Knight. Venters, ride straight on up the slope, Lassiter was saying, and if you don't meet any riders, keep on till you're a few miles from the village. "'then cut off in the sage and go round to the trail. "'But you'll most likely meet riders with Tull. "'Just keep right on till you're just out of gunshot, "'and then make your cut off into the sage. "'They'll ride after you, but it won't be no use. "'You can ride, and Bess can ride. "'When you're out of reach, turn on round to the west "'and hit the trail somewhere. "'Save the horses all you can, but don't be afraid. "'Black Star and Night are good for a hundred miles before sundown, "'if you have to push them.' You can get to Stirling by night if you won't. But better make it along about tomorrow morning. When you get through the notch on the Glaze Trail, swing to the right. You'll be able to see both Glaze and Stone Bridge. Keep away from them villages. You won't run no risk of meeting any of Aldrin's rustlers from Stirling own. You'll find water in them deep hollows north of the notch. There's an old trail there, not much used, and it leads to Stirling. That's your trail. And one thing more— if Tull pushes you, or keeps on persistent-like for a few miles, just let the blacks out and lose him and his riders. Lassiter, may we meet again, 
said Venters, in a deep voice. "'Son, it ain't likely. It ain't likely. "'Well, Bess Aldrin, Masked Rider, Elizabeth Earn, "'now you climb on Black Star. I've heard you could ride. "'Well, every rider loves a good horse. "'And last, there never was but one that could beat Black Star. "'Ah, Lassiter, there never was any horse that could beat Black Star.' said Jane, with the old pride. I often wondered, maybe Venters rode out that race when he brought back the blacks. Son, was Wrangle the best hoss? No, Lassiter, replied Venters. For this lie he had his reward in Jane's quick smile. Well, well, my hoss sense ain't always right. And here I'm talking a lot, wasting time. It ain't so easy to find and lose a pretty niece all in one hour. Elizabeth, good-bye. Oh, Uncle Jim, good-bye. Elizabeth Earn, be happy, good-bye, said Jane. Good-bye, oh, good-bye. In lithe, supple action, Bess swung up to Black Star's saddle. Jane Witherstein, good-bye, called Venters hoarsely. Burn, Bess, riders of the Purple Sage, good-bye. End of chapter 21
replied Bess. "'I see a white horse and several greys. "'Rustlers seldom ride any horses but bays and blacks.' "'That white horse is Tull's. "'Pull the black, Bess. "'I'll get down and cinch up. "'We're in for some riding. "'Are you afraid?' "'Not now,' answered the girl, smiling. "'You needn't be. "'Bess, you don't weigh enough to make Blackstar know you're on him. "'I won't be able to stay with you. "'You'll leave Tull and his riders as if they were standing still.' "'How about you?' "'Never fear. "'If I can't stay with you, I can still laugh at Tull.' "'Look, Burn, they've stopped on that ridge. They see us.' "'Yes, but we're too far yet for them to make out who we are. "'They'll recognize the blacks first. "'We've passed most of the ridges and the thickest sage. "'Now when I give the word, let Black Star go and ride.' "'Venters calculated that a mile or more still intervened between them and the riders. "'They were approaching at a swift canter.' Soon Venters recognized Tull's white horse, and concluded that the riders had likewise recognized Black Star and Knight. But it would be impossible for Tull yet to see that the blacks were not ridden by Lassiter and Jane. Venters noted that Tull and the line of horsemen, perhaps ten or twelve in number, stopped several times and evidently looked hard down the slope. It must have been a puzzling circumstance for Tull. Venters laughed grimly at the thought of what Tull's rage would be when he finally discovered the trick. Venters meant to sheer out into the sage before Tull could possibly be sure who rode the blacks. The gap closed to a distance of half a mile. Tull halted. His riders came up and formed a dark group around him. Venters thought he saw him wave his arms, and was certain of it when the riders dashed into the sage, to right and left of the trail. Tull had anticipated just the move held in mind by Venters. "'Now, Bess!' shouted Venters. "'Strike north. Go round those riders and turn west.' Black Star sailed over the low sage, and in a few leaps got into his stride and was running. Venters spurred night after him. It was hard going in the sage. The horses could run as well there, but keen eyesight and judgment must constantly be used by the riders in choosing ground. And continuous swerving from aisle to aisle between the brush, and leaping little washes and mounds of the pack-rats, and breaking through sage, made rough riding. When Venters had turned into a long aisle, he had time to look up at Tull's riders. They were now strung out into an extended line riding northeast. And, as Venters and Bess were holding due north, this meant, if the horses of Tull and his riders had the speed and the staying power, they would head the blacks and turn them back down the slope. Tull's men were not saving their mounts. They were driving them desperately. Venters feared only an accident to Black Star or Knight, and skillful riding would mitigate possibility of that. One glance ahead served to show him that Bess could pick a course through the sage as well as he. She looked neither back nor at the running riders, and bent forward over Blackstar's neck, and studied the ground ahead. It struck Venters presently, after he had glanced up from time to time, that Bess was drawing away from him, as he had expected. He had, however, only thought of the light weight Blackstar was carrying, and of his superior speed. He saw now that the black was being ridden as never before, except when Jerry Card lost the race to wrangle. How easily— Gracefully, naturally, Bess sat her saddle. She could ride. Suddenly Venters remembered she had said she could ride, but he had not dreamed she was capable of such superb horsemanship. 
Then, all at once, flashing over him, thrilling him, came the recollection that Bess was Oldring's masked rider. He forgot Tull, the running riders, the race. He let Knight have a free rein and felt him lengthen out to suit himself, knowing he would keep to Black Star's course, knowing that he had been chosen by the best rider now on the upland sage. For Jerry Card was dead, and fame had rivaled him with only one rider, and that was the slender girl who now swung so easily with Black Star's stride. Venters had abhorred her notoriety, but now he took passionate pride in her skill, her daring, her power over a horse. And he delved into his memory, recalling famous rides which he had heard related in the villages and round the campfires. Oldring's masked rider. Many times this strange rider, at once well known and unknown, had escaped pursuers by matchless riding. He had to run the gauntlet of vigilantes down the main street of Stone Bridge, leaving dead horses and dead rustlers behind. He had jumped his horse over the Gerber Wash, a deep, wide ravine separating the fields of glaze from the wild sage. He had been surrounded north of Stirling, and he had broken through the line. How often had been told the story of day stampedes, of night raids, of pursuit, and then how the masked rider, swift as the wind, was gone in the sage. A fleet, dark horse, a slender, dark form, a black mask, a driving run down the slope, a dot on the purple sage, a shadowy, muffled steed disappearing in the night. And this masked rider of the uplands had been Elizabeth Erne. The sweet sage wind rushed in Venter's face and sang a song in his ears. He heard the dull, rapid beat of night's hoofs. He saw a black star drawing away, farther and farther. He realized both horses were swinging to the west. Then gunshots in the rear reminded him of Tull. Venters looked back. Far to the side, dropping behind, trooped the riders. They were shooting. Venters saw no puffs of dust, heard no whistling bullets. He was out of range. When he looked back again, Tull's riders had given up pursuit. The best they could do, no doubt, had been to get near enough to recognize who really rode the blacks. Venters saw Tull drooping in his saddle. Then Venters pulled Knight out of his running stride. Those few miles had scarcely warmed the black, but Venters wished to save him. Bess turned, and though she was far away, Venters caught the white glint of her waving hand. He held Knight to a trot and rode on, seeing Bess and Blackstar and the sloping upward stretch of sage, and from time to time the receding black riders behind. Soon they disappeared behind a ridge, and he turned no more. They would go back to Lassiter's trail and follow it, and follow in vain. So Venters rode on, with the wind growing sweeter to taste and smell, and the purple sage richer, and the sky bluer in his sight, and the song in his ears ringing. By and by Bess halted to wait for him, and he knew she had come to the trail. When he reached her it was to smile at sight of her standing with arms round Black Star's neck. "'Oh, Burn, I love him,' she cried. "'He's beautiful. He knows. And how he can run!' I've had fast horses, but Black Star, Wrangle never beat him. I'm wondering if I didn't dream that. Bess, the blacks are grand. What it must have cost Jane. Ah, well, when we get out of this wild country with Star and Night, back to my old home in Illinois, we'll buy a beautiful farm with meadows and springs and cool shade. There we'll turn the horses free, free to roam and browse and drink, 
never to feel a spur again, never to be ridden. "'I would like that,' said Bess. They rested. Then, mounting, they rode side by side up the white trail. The sun rose higher behind them. Far to the left, a low line of green marked the site of Cottonwoods. Venters looked once, and looked no more. Bess gazed only straight ahead. They put the blacks to the long, swinging rider's canter, and at times pulled them to a trot, and occasionally to a walk. The hours passed, the miles slipped behind, and the wall of rock loomed in the fore. The notch opened wide. It was a rugged, stony pass, but with level and open trail, and Venters and Bess ran the blacks through it. An old trail led off to the right, taking the line of the wall, and this Venters knew to be the trail mentioned by Lassiter. The little hamlet, Glaze, a white and green patch in the vast waste of purple, lay miles down a slope much like the Cottonwood slope, only this descended to the west, and miles farther west a faint green spot marked the location of Stone Bridge. All the rest of that world was seemingly smooth, undulating sage, with no ragged lines of canyons to accentuate its wildness. "'Bess, we're safe, we're free,' said Venters. "'We're alone on the sage. We're halfway to Stirling.' "'Ah, I wonder how it is with Lassiter and Miss Witherstein.' "'Never fear, Bess. He'll outwit Tull. He'll get away and hide her safely. He might climb into Surprise Valley, but I don't think he'll go so far.' "'Burn, will we ever find any place like our beautiful valley?' "'No. But, dear, listen, we'll go back some day, after years, ten years. Then we'll be forgotten, and our valley will be just as we left it. "'What if balancing rock falls and closes the outlet to the pass?' "'I've thought of that. I'll pack in ropes and ropes, and if the outlet's closed, we'll climb up the cliffs and over them to the valley and go down on rope ladders. It could be done.' I know just where to make the climb, and I'll never forget. Oh, yes, let us go back. It's something sweet to look forward to. Bess, it's like all the future looks to me. Call me Elizabeth, she said shyly. Elizabeth Earn, it's a beautiful name, but I'll never forget Bess. Do you know, have you thought that very soon, by this time tomorrow, you will be Elizabeth Venters? So they rode on down the old trail, and the sun sloped to the west, and a golden sheen lay on the sage. The hours sped now, the afternoon waned. Often they rested the horses. The glisten of a pool of water in a hollow caught Venter's eye, and here he unsaddled the blacks and let them roll and drink and browse. When he and Bess rode up out of the hollow, the sun was low, a crimson ball, and the valley seemed veiled in purple fire and smoke. It was that short time when the sun appeared to rest before setting, and silence, like a cloak of invisible life, lay heavy on all that shimmering world of sage. They watched the sun begin to bury its red curve under the dark horizon. "'We'll ride on till late,' he said. "'Then you can sleep a little while I watch and graze the horses, and we'll ride into Stirling early tomorrow. We'll be married. We'll be in time to catch the stage.' We'll tie Black Star and Knight behind, and then, for a country not wild and terrible like this. Oh, Burn! But look, the sun is setting on the sage, the last time for us till we dare come again to the Utah border. Ten years! Oh, Burn, look, so you will never forget. 
slumbering fading purple fire burned over the undulating sage ridges long streaks and bars and shafts and spears fringed the far western slope drifting golden veils mingled with low purple shadows colors and shades changed in slow wondrous transformation suddenly venters was startled by a low rumbling roar so low that it was like the roar in a seashell bess did you hear anything he whispered no listen maybe i only imagined ah out of the east or north from remote distance breathed an infinitely low continuously long sound deep weird detonating thundering deadening dying end of chapter 22「Chapter twenty three of Riders of the Purple Sage. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Laurie Ann Walden. Riders of the Purple Sage by Zane Gray. Chapter twenty three. The Fall of Balancing Rock. Through tear-blurred sight, Jane Witherstein watched Venters and Elizabeth Erne and the black racers disappear over the ridge of sage. "'They're gone,' said Lassiter. "'And they're safe now. And there'll never be a day of their coming happy lives but what they'll remember Jane Witherstein and—and and Uncle Jim. I reckon, Jane, we'd better be on our way.' The burrows obediently wheeled and started down the break with little cautious steps— but Lassiter had to leash the whining dogs and lead them. Jane felt herself bound in a feeling that was neither listlessness nor indifference, yet which rendered her incapable of interest. She was still strong in body, but emotionally tired. That hour at the entrance to Deception Pass had been the climax of her suffering, the flood of her wrath, the last of her sacrifice, the supremacy of her love, and the attainment of peace. She thought that if she had little Fay, she would not ask any more of life. Like an automaton, she followed Lassiter down the steep trail of dust and bits of weathered stone, and when the little slides moved with her or piled around her knees, she experienced no alarm. Vague relief came to her in the sense of being enclosed between dark stone walls, deep hidden from the glare of sun, from the glistening sage. Lassiter lengthened the stirrup straps on one of the burrows, and bade her mount and ride close to him. She was to keep the burrow from cracking his little hard hoofs on stones. Then she was riding on between dark, gleaming walls. There were quiet and rest and coolness in this canyon. She noted indifferently that they passed close under shady, bulging shelves of cliff, through patches of grass and sage and thicket and groves of slender trees, and over white, pebbly washes, and around masses of broken rock. The burrows trotted tirelessly. The dogs, once more free, pattered tirelessly. And Lassiter led on with never a stop, and at every open place he looked back. The shade under the walls gave place to sunlight. And presently they came to a dense thicket of slender trees, through which they passed to rich green grass and water. Here Lassiter rested the burrows for a little while, but he was restless, uneasy, silent, always listening, peering under the trees. She dully reflected that enemies were behind them, before them. Still the thought awakened no dread or concern or interest. 
At his bidding she mounted and rode on close to the heels of his burrow. The canyon narrowed, the walls lifted their rugged rims higher, and the sun shone down hot from the center of the blue stream of sky above. Lassiter traveled slower, with more exceeding care as to the ground he chose, and he kept speaking low to the dogs. They were now hunting dogs, keen, alert, suspicious, sniffing the warm breeze. The monotony of the yellow walls broke in change of color and smooth surface, and the rugged outline of rims grew craggy. Splits appeared in deep breaks, and gorges running at right angles, and then the pass opened wide at a junction of intersecting canyons. Lassiter dismounted, led his burrow, called the dogs close, and proceeded at snail pace through dark masses of rock and dense thickets under the left wall. Long he watched and listened before venturing to cross the mouths of side canyons. At length he halted, fled his burrow, lifted a warning hand to Jane, and then slipped away among the boulders, and followed by the stealthy dogs, disappeared from sight. The time he remained absent was neither short nor long to Jane Witherstein. When he reached her side again he was pale, and his lips were set in a hard line, and his gray eyes glittered coldly. Bidding her dismount, he led the burrows into a covert of stones and cedars, and tied them. "'Jane, I've run into the fellers I've been looking for, and I'm going after them,' he said. "'Why?' she asked. "'I reckon I won't take time to tell you.' "'Couldn't we slip by without being seen?' "'Likely enough, but that ain't my game, and I'd like to know, in case I don't come back, what you'll do.' "'What can I do?' I reckon you can go back to Tull, or stay in the pass and be taken off by rustlers. Which'll you do? I don't know. I can't think very well. But I believe I'd rather be taken off by rustlers. Lassiter sat down, put his head in his hands, and remained for a few moments in what appeared to be deep and painful thought. When he lifted his face, it was haggard, lined, cold as sculptured marble. I'll go. I only mentioned that chance of my not coming back. I'm pretty sure to come. Need you risk so much? Must you fight more? Haven't you shed enough blood? I'd like to tell you why I'm going, he continued, in coldness he had seldom used to her. She remarked it, but it was the same to her as if he had spoken with his old gentle warmth. But I reckon I won't. Only I'll say that mercy and goodness, such as in you, though they're the grand things in human nature, can't be lived up to on this Utah border. Life's hell out here. You think, or you used to think, that your religion made this life heaven. Maybe them scales on your eyes has dropped now. Jane, I wouldn't have you no different, and that's why I'm going to try to hide you somewhere in this pass. I'd like to hide many more women, for I've come to see there are more like you among your people. And I'd like you to see just how hard and cruel this border life is. It's bloody. You'd think churches and churchmen would make it better. They make it worse. You give names to things, bishops, elders, ministers, Mormonism, duty, faith, glory. You dream, or you're driven mad. I'm a man, and I know. I name fanatics, followers, blind women, oppressors, thieves, ranchers, rustlers, riders. And we have what you've lived through these last months. It can't be helped, but it can't last always. And remember this, some day the border'll be better, cleaner, for the ways of ten like Lassiter. 
she saw him shake his tall form erect, look at her strangely and steadfastly, and then, noiselessly, stealthily, slip away amid the rocks and trees. Ring and Whitey, not being bidden to follow, remained with Jane. She felt extreme weariness, yet somehow it did not seem to be of her body. And she sat down in the shade and tried to think. She saw a creeping lizard, cactus flowers, the drooping burrows, the resting dogs, an eagle high over a yellow crag. Once the meanest flower, a color, the flight of the bee, or any living thing had given her deepest joy. Lassiter had gone off, yielding to his incurable blood-lust, probably to his own death, and she was sorry, but there was no feeling in her sorrow. Suddenly from the mouth of the canyon just beyond her rang out a clear, sharp report of a rifle. Echoes clapped. Then followed a piercingly high yell of anguish, quickly breaking. Again echoes clapped in grim imitation. Dull revolver shots, hoarse yells, pound of hoofs, shrill neighs of horses, commingling of echoes, and again silence. Lassiter must be busily engaged, thought Jane, and no chill trembled over her, no blanching tightened her skin. Yes, the border was a bloody place, but life had always been bloody. Men were blood spillers. Phases of the history of the world flashed through her mind. Greek and Roman wars, dark medieval times, the crimes in the name of religion. On sea, on land, everywhere, shooting, stabbing, cursing, clashing, fighting men. Greed, power, oppression, fanaticism, love, hate, revenge, justice, freedom. For these, men killed one another. She lay there under the cedars, gazing up through the delicate, lace-like foliage at the blue sky, and she thought and wondered and did not care. More rattling shots disturbed the noonday quiet. She heard a sliding of weathered rock, a hoarse shout of warning, a yell of alarm, again the clear, sharp crack of the rifle, and another cry that was a cry of death. Then rifle reports pierced a dull volley of revolver shots. Bullets whizzed over Jane's hiding-place. One struck a stone and whined away in the air. After that, for a time, succeeded desultory shots, and then they ceased under long, thundering fire from heavier guns. Sooner or later, then, Jane heard the cracking of horses' hoofs on the stones, and the sound came nearer and nearer. Silence intervened until Lassiter's soft, jingling step assured her of his approach. When he appeared, he was covered with blood. "'All right, Jane,' he said. "'I come back, and don't worry.' With water from a canteen he washed the blood from his face and hands. "'Jane, hurry now. Tear my scarf in two and tie up these places. That hole through my hand is some inconvenient. Worse than this at over my ear. There, you're doing fine. Not a bit nervous, no trembling. I reckon I ain't done your courage justice.' I'm glad you're brave just now. You'll need to be. Well, I was hid pretty good, enough to keep them from shooting me deep, but they was slinging lead close all the time. I used up all the rifle shells, and then I went after them. Maybe you heard. It was then I got hit. Had to use up every shell in my own gun, and they did, too, as I seen. Rustlers and Mormons, Jane. And now I'm packing five bullet holes in my carcass, and guns without shells. Hurry now. He unstrapped the saddle-bags from the burrows, slipped the saddles and let them lie, 
turned the burrows loose, and calling the dogs led the way through stones and cedars to an open where two horses stood. "'Jane, are you strong?' he asked. "'I think so. I'm not tired,' Jane replied. "'I don't mean that way. Can you bear up?' "'I think I can bear anything. "'I reckon you look a little cold and thick, so I'm preparing you.' "'For what?' I didn't tell you why I just had to go after them fellers. I couldn't tell you. I believe you'd have died. But I can tell you now, if you'll bear up under a shock. Go on, my friend. I've got little Fay, Alive, bad hurt, but she'll live. Jane Witherstein's deadlocked feeling, rent by Lassiter's deep, quivering voice, leaped into an agony of sensitive life. Here, he added, and showed her where little Fay lay on the grass. Unable to speak, unable to stand, Jane dropped on her knees. By that long, beautiful golden hair, Jane recognized the beloved Fay. But Fay's loveliness was gone. Her face was drawn and looked old with grief. But she was not dead, her heart beat, and Jane Witherstein gathered strength and lived again. "'You see, I just had to go after Fay,' Lassiter was saying, as he knelt to bathe her little pale face. "'But I reckon I don't want no more choices like the one I had to make. There was a crippled feller in that bunch, Jane. Maybe Venters crippled him. Anyway, that's why they were holding up here. I seen little Fay first thing, and was hard put to it to figure out a way to get her. And I wanted hosses, too. I had to take chances. So I crawled close to their camp. One feller jumped a hoss with little Fay and when I shot him, of course, she dropped. She's stunned and bruised. She fell right on her head. Jane, she's coming too. She ain't bad hurt. Fay's long lashes fluttered, her eyes opened. At first they seemed glazed over. They looked dazed by pain. Then they quickened, darkened, to shine with intelligence, bewilderment, memory, and sudden wonderful joy. Mother, Jane, she whispered, "'Oh, little Fay, little Fay!' cried Jane, lifting, clasping the child to her. "'Now we've got to rustle,' said Lassiter, in grim coolness. "'Jane, look down the pass.' Across the mounds of rock and sage, Jane caught sight of a band of riders filing out of the narrow neck of the pass, and in the lead was a white horse, which, even at a distance of a mile or more, she knew. "'Tull!' she almost screamed. I reckon. But, Jane, we've still got the game in our hands. They're riding tired hosses. Venters likely gave them a chase. He wouldn't forget that. And we've fresh hosses. Hurriedly he strapped on the saddlebags, gave quick glance to girths and cinches and stirrups, then leaped astride. Lift little Fay up, he said. With shaking arms, Jane complied. Get back your nerve, woman. This is life or death now. Mind that. Climb up. Keep your wits. Stick close to me. Watch where your horse is going, and ride. Somehow Jane mounted, somehow found strength to hold the reins, to spur, to cling on, to ride. A horrible quaking, craven fear possessed her soul. Lassiter led the swift flight across the wide space, over washes, through sage, into a narrow canyon where the rapid clatter of hoofs rapped sharply from the walls. The wind roared in her ears, the gleaming cliffs swept by. 
trail and sage and grass moved under her. Lassiter's bandaged, blood-stained face turned to her. He shouted encouragement. He looked back down the pass. He spurred his horse. Jane clung on, spurring likewise. And the horses settled from hard, furious gallop into a long-striding, driving run. She had never ridden at anything like that pace. Desperately she tried to get in the swing of the horse, to be of some help to him in that race, to see the best of the ground, and got him into it. But she failed of everything except to keep her seat the saddle, and to spur and spur. At times she closed her eyes, unable to bear sight of Fay's golden curls streaming in the wind. She could not pray, she could not rail, she no longer cared for herself. All of life, of good, of use in the world, of hope in heaven entered in Lassiter's ride with little Fay to safety. She would have tried to turn the iron-jawed brute she rode. She would have given herself to that relentless, dark-browed tull. But she knew Lassiter would turn with her, so she rode on and on. Whether that run was of moments or hours, Jane Witherstein could not tell. Lassiter's horse covered her with froth that blew back in white streams. Both horses ran their limit, were allowed to slow down in time to save them, and went on dripping, heaving, staggering. "'Oh, Lassiter, we must run! We must run!' He looked back, saying nothing. The bandage had blown from his head, and blood trickled down his face. He was bowing under the strain of injuries, of the ride, of his burden. Yet how cool and gay he looked! How intrepid! The horses walked, trotted, galloped, ran, to fall again to walk. Hours sped or dragged. Time was an instant, an eternity. Jane Witherstein felt hell pursuing her, and dared not look back for fear she would fall from her horse. "'Oh, Lassiter, is he coming?' The grim rider looked over his shoulder, but said no word. Fay's golden hair floated on the breeze. The sun shone, the walls gleamed, the sage glistened. And then it seemed the sun vanished, the wall shaded, the sage paled. The horses walked, trotted, galloped, ran, to fall again to walk. Shadows gathered under shelving cliffs. The canyon turned, brightened, opened into a long, wide, wall-enclosed valley. Again the sun, lowering in the west, reddened the sage. Far ahead, round, scrawled stone appeared to block the pass. "'Bear up, Jane, bear up!' called Lassiter. "'It's our game if you don't weaken.' "'Lassiter, go on alone. Save little Fay.' "'Only with you.' "'Oh, I'm a coward, a miserable coward. I can't fight or think or hope or pray. I'm lost.' Oh, Lassiter, look back. Is he coming? I'll not hold out. Keep your breath, woman, and ride not for yourself or for me, but for Fay. A last breaking run across the sage brought Lassiter's horse to a walk. He's done, said the rider. Oh, no, no, moaned Jane. Look back, Jane, look back. Three, four miles we've come across this valley, and no tull yet in sight. Only a few more miles. Jane looked back over the long stretch of sage, and found the narrow gap in the wall, out of which came a file of dark horses, with a white horse in the lead. Sight of the riders acted upon Jane as a stimulant. The weight of cold, horrible terror lessened. And gazing forward at the dogs, at Lassiter's limping horse, at the blood on his face, 
at the rocks growing nearer, last at Fay's golden hair, the ice left her veins, and slowly, strangely, she gained hold of strength that she believed would see her to the safety Lassiter promised. And as she gazed, Lassiter's horse stumbled and fell. He swung his leg and slipped from the saddle. "'Jane, take the child,' he said, and lifted Fay up. Jane clasped her, arm suddenly strong. "'They're gainin,' went on Lassiter, as he watched the pursuing riders. "'But we'll beat em yet.' Turning with Jane's bridle in his hand, he was about to start when he saw the saddle-bag on the fallen horse. "'I've just about got time,' he muttered, and with swift fingers that did not blunder or fumble, he loosened the bag and threw it over his shoulder. Then he started to run, leading Jane's horse, and he ran and trotted and walked and ran again. Close ahead now Jane saw a rise of bare rock. Lassiter reached it, searched along the base, and finding a low place, dragged the weary horse up and over round smooth stone. Looking backward, Jane saw Tull's white horse not a mile distant, with riders strung out in a long line behind him. Looking forward, she saw more valley to the right, and to the left a towering cliff. Lassiter pulled the horse and kept on. Little Fay lay in her arms with wide-open eyes, eyes which were still shadowed by pain, but no longer fixed, glazed in terror. The golden curls blew across Jane's lips. The little hands feebly clasped her arm. A ghost of a troubled, trustful smile hovered round the sweet lips. And Jane Witherstein awoke to the spirit of a lioness. Lassiter was leading the horse up a smooth slope toward cedar trees of twisted and bleached appearance. Among these he halted. "'Jane, give me the girl and get down,' he said. As if it wrenched him, he unbuckled the empty black guns with a strange air of finality. He then received Fay in his arms and stood a moment looking backward. Tall's white horse mounted the ridge of round stone, and several bays or blacks followed. "'I wonder what he'll think when he sees them empty guns. Jane, bring your saddlebag and climb after me.' A glistening, wonderful, bare slope with little holes, swelled up and up to lose itself in a frowning yellow cliff. Jane closely watched her steps and climbed behind Lassiter. He moved slowly. Perhaps he was only husbanding his strength. But she saw drops of blood on the stone, and then she knew. They climbed and climbed without looking back. Her breast labored. She began to feel as if little points of fiery steel were penetrating her side into her lungs. She heard the panting of Lassiter and the quicker panting of the dogs. "'Wait here,' he said. Before her rose a bulge of stone, nicked with little cut steps, and above that a corner of yellow wall, and overhanging that a vast, ponderous cliff. The dogs pattered up, disappeared round the corner. Lassiter mounted the steps with Fay, and he swayed like a drunken man, and he too disappeared. But instantly he returned alone, and half ran, half slipped down to her. Then from below pealed up hoarse shouts of angry men. Tull and several of his riders had reached the spot where Lassiter had parted with his guns. "'You'll need that breath, maybe,' said Lassiter, facing downward with glittering eyes. "'Now, Jane, the last pull,' he went on. "'Walk up them little steps. I'll follow and steady you. Don't think.' Just go. Little Fay's above. Her eyes are open. She just said to me, 
where's Mother Jane?' Without a fear or a tremor or a slip or a touch of Lassiter's hand, Jane Witherstein walked up that ladder of cut steps. He pushed her round the corner of the wall. Fay lay with wide staring eyes in the shade of a gloomy wall. The dogs waited. Lassiter picked up the child and turned into a dark cleft. It zigzagged. It widened. It opened. Jane was amazed at a wonderfully smooth and steep incline leading up between ruined, splintered, toppling walls. A red haze from the setting sun filled this passage. Lassiter climbed with slow, measured steps, and blood dripped from him to make splotches on the white stone. Jane tried not to step in his blood, but was compelled, for she found no other footing. The saddlebag began to drag her down. She gasped for breath. She thought her heart was bursting. Slower, slower yet, the rider climbed, whistling as he breathed. The incline widened. Huge pinnacles and monuments of stone stood alone, leaning fearfully. Red sunset haze shone through cracks where the wall had split. Jane did not look high, but she felt the overshadowing of broken rims above. She felt that it was a fearful, menacing place. And she climbed on in heart-rending effort and she fell beside Lassiter and Fay at the top of the incline in a narrow, smooth divide. He staggered to his feet, staggered to a huge, leaning rock that rested on a small pedestal. He put his hand on it, the hand that had been shot through, and Jane saw blood drip from the ragged hole. Then he fell. "'Jane, I can't do it,' he whispered. "'What?' Roll the stone. All my life I've loved to roll stones, and now I can't. What of it? You talk strangely. Why roll that stone? I plan to fetch you here to roll this stone. See? It'll smash the crags, loosen the walls, close the outlet. As Jane Witherstein gazed down that long incline, walled in by crumbling cliffs, awaiting only the slightest jar to make them fall asunder, she saw Tull appear at the bottom and begin to climb. A rider followed him. Another. And another. See, Tull, the riders! Yes, they'll get us now. Why, haven't you strength left to roll the stone? Jane, it ain't that. I've lost my nerve. You, Lassiter. I wanted to roll it, meant to, but I can't. Venter's Valley is down behind here. We could live there. But if I roll the stone, we're shut in for always. I don't dare. I'm thinking of you. Lassiter, roll the stone, she cried. He arose tottering, but with set face, and again he placed the bloody hand on the balancing rock. Jane Witherstein gazed from him down the passageway. Tull was climbing. Almost, she thought, she saw his dark, relentless face. Behind him more riders climbed. What did they mean for Fay, for Lassiter, for herself? Roll the stone. Lassiter, I love you. Under all his deathly pallor, and the blood, and the iron of seared cheek and lined brow, worked a great change. He placed both hands on the rock, and then leaned his shoulder there and braced his powerful body. "'Roll the stone!' It stirred, it groaned, it grated, it moved, 
and with a slow grinding, as of wrathful relief, began to lean. It had waited ages to fall, and now was slow in starting. Then, as if suddenly instinct with life, it leaped hurtingly down to alight on the steep incline, to bound more swiftly into the air, to gather momentum, to plunge into the lofty, leaning crag below. The crag thundered into atoms. A wave of air, a splitting shock. Dust shrouded the sunset red of shaking rims. Dust shrouded Tull as he fell on his knees with uplifted arms. Shafts and monuments and sections of wall fell majestically. From the depths there rose a long-drawn, rumbling roar. The outlet to Deception Pass closed forever. End of chapter 23 This concludes Riders of the Purple Sage by Zane Grey